0: Hey, Peter. Yeah. Do you know how to spell out a C sharp half diminished flat seven, double flat five over B major seven? I don't, but I heard you play one last night on your gig. It sounded good. I'm Adam Manis. And I'm Peter Martin. And you are listening to the You'll Hear It podcast. Dogmatic daily
1: jazz advice coming at you.
0: You were a little dogmatic in your intro today. I, was I a little. It. I was a little dogmatic. Today's episode is sponsored by The Oxford American. The Oxford American is a magazine dedicated to documenting the complexity and vitality of the American South. It's award-winning. Annual music issue comes with a CD sampler and digital download. It's a must-have for any serious music fan. Recent issues have featured Nina Simone, Thelonious Monk, John Cage, and John Coltrane. Visit OxfordAmerican.org slash Y-H-I today. That's OxfordAmerican.org forward slash Y-H-I. This sponsorship has been wonderful on a number of levels,
1: but I feel like they're sponsoring our brains, too, because we've been reading. I mean, I've I've been an avid reader for years, but um, truly, this is like the intersection of literature and music in a way that speaks to me, in such an authentic way that, um, you know, it's very exciting. So I hope you guys take the opportunity to check them out. Check out your t shirt
0: Oh yeah, for our YouTube folks, yeah, I got Oxford American, American T-shirt, well. yeah.
1: We might have to do a little little giveaway sometime yeah. on that, you know. So.
0: Okay. Uh, so today we're talking about how to name chords. Yeah, uh, this came from YouTube comments. We have our our fair share of people active on the YouTube. Comments. I
1: know, and you know what? I've been shying away. I don't know if you've noticed. Well, you've been giving me crap for months about it, and yeah, then all then of a I sudden did, you abandon well, it. <laughs> well, the whole Corey Henry thing scared me off, man. What? I, don't, I blocked that out. <laughs> That's really what I'm sorry. saying. About. That was. Tra- we talk about trauma. We Whew. yesterday we talked about. Um, Wait, is today hump day? hump day? Did I miss it? Today's Thursday. Man. Oh, man. We so, hump yesterday, yesterday, after all that buildup. Anyway, next week I'm going to catch it. Damn, bro. Feels like Hump Day. It feels like Hump Day. So, uh, yeah, with this yeah, came on the YouTube comments. We're going to get back in there. I think it's safe now. Of yeah, are, are are all the snarky, snarky right comments, snarky right puppy ahead. comments. I'm
0: just going to go start commenting on J- Jacob Collier videos. That would <laughs> be safe. Yeah, well, good luck with that. Uh, so this is from Florian on YouTube. He says, hey, guys, I'm a guitarist from Holland. I only say that enthusiastically because he has uh, lots of exclamation points. Dutch people are very enthusiastic in my experience. I don't want to stereotype, but they really are in, in such a great way. Uh, first of all, you guys are making some insanely helpful videos for all musicians, not just pianists. Thank you, Florian. I give you guys 10,251 out of 10 rating. I don't know what that means, but thank you. <laughs> we'll I have two questions for you. Where is it? Oh, first of all, do you guys have some guidelines on how to name chords? I think that's the question we're going to deal with mostly today. Um, because I don't think it's something we've really talked about. Like- well, I think it's it's kind of like we both have children and beautiful
1: families. It's like naming your kids. You you want to reserve the best names for the ones you love the most. Is that the concept you use? No, man, know. that's oh, it's a- not the oh, thing. Sorry, okay. and I feel sorry for your kids. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> oh, my kids are older now; they know the way of the world. Man, your kids are still like young and oh, daddy loves us
0: all equally. <laughs> that's why you don't hear a lot about Macklemore Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Poor little Macklemore, where where is he? Where Where art thou? No, I think there are some uh guidelines you can use. You know, it's um it's definitely more of an art than a science yeah. core changes. Well, I mean a it's, it's a little it's part of part both, yeah. but like any kind of notation, it's really about what you're trying to communicate to your reader, right? You yeah. wanna make it as simple and as clear as possible. That's goal okay. number one. That's right. Right? So, so that there's no guessing game for the person reading the chart of right. like uh, what do they mean? Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah, you should never have, and there should never be a situation. And and this goes even beyond just naming chords, but but this is a certainly an area where we you can trip easily as a jazz musician uh, or jazz writer, so to speak, because there's so many chords that we put in for all parts, you know. Yeah. Um, but you never want to have. Something written that you would have to explain, where it's not clear from the music. Yeah, that's and we've both been in this situation as the Rangers and stuff. It should never be like, oh, "I'll just tell them what it is." What? Well, what if you don't make it? What? What if you die tomorrow? Your music's got to live on. Yeah, and so it has to be very clear. And, and when you, when you say with the chords, I would even say that if there's not a way to do it, and we'll talk about some specific ways to do it with chord symbols and stuff, but if you need to write out, and you're great about this, and like like some of your charts, I know sometimes you'll just write out. Dig voicing, and then you'll put the chord. I mean, that tells them exactly what you
0: want. Yeah. It it really gets specific. And I think that's kind of like number one, right? Is really show your intent in the clearest, simplest way possible. Yeah. That that's really the goal is to show what what you want out of that time frame that you have designated for that chord symbol. Yeah. In the clearest so that your vision of how it's supposed to sound is conveyed, and the simplest so that they don't have to so you don't have to write a two-paragraph-long direction exactly. of uh, you know, oh, what hate this means. People oh,
1: well, and I think that that's great, too, because you want to remember people are going to be... You know, yesterday we talked about memorizing music and stuff. Once you you want to make that process hopefully for them to be able to love your music enough to want to play it and want to memorize it and want to internalize it. So it does need to be as simple as possible. Now that doesn't mean that sometimes we don't have something that is complex if the music calls for it at that time. But we don't want it. This is not a time when you're naming chords to try to make it like the equivalent of like use a big fancy word and be very verbose and you know when a good clear simple word could, could work better. So you don't want it to be so simple that it doesn't explain the sound that you want, but you don't want to make it overly complicated just to make yourself look cool and technical.
0: That's right. Uh, so a couple of things you can do for this is if you're writing or arranging a song with a melody that, um, can be defined by the chord. So in other words, let's say it's a C seven chord and the melody is a D flat. Yeah. Right don't just write C7 as the chord. Right, You can convey what that melody is for the pianist in the voicing or whomever by putting C7 flat nine. Right, Easy to do. And definitely
1: don't like have a big uh, D flat in the melody on a half note and then put C9 or C13 without yeah. anything else. That's, I mean, unless you want that to clash.
0: Yeah, exactly. Unless you want that sound. Explain yourself with the chord symbol. Right. And then also, maybe if, if that's not the sound you want over the solo, have a different set of solo changes that yeah. with the sound you want over the solo but yeah. in general the melody should be primarily what people are soloing off of you know and the chord changes should reflect that yeah and i mean especially in this day and age of
1: of of you know how we notate music usually with a, you know program finale sibelius uh, or, or whatever and and you start moving things around um sometimes you start out thinking oh i'm just going to put c7 they'll see the piano will see the D flat there and that's fine but sometimes that gets taken out of their part or maybe it's put into the bass part and the bass only has the bass clap and doesn't have that D flat and they just have slashes and you might think well I don't want them playing that note well that's fine then just put C7 but if you're just doing that because you're lazy or you forgot to move that it's better to kind of have everybody and you might say well that's making it complex no a C7 flat nine is no more complex to a good bass player than just a C7 there totally you know and I think that Uh, You know, another part, not to jump ahead too much, and we'll talk about it some more, but is like, think about these chords and how you write them, never just on their own. You want to think about patterns, because when people, especially their sight reading, they're identifying, really good sight readers are great at this, they're identifying patterns. So if you start putting like C7, F7, G7, you don't have any alterations, that's fine, but what you're telling the bassist, the pianist, somebody soloing over it, is this is bluesy. Even if like they haven't heard that yet, just because you start to see that one, four, five. And so just think about that. Like that might be the kind of sound that you want. You don't have to put blues or whatever. Um, but also be careful with that because if you do that, they're going to, I mean, maybe they hear that you've got these major sevens and flat nines and they're like, wait, this isn't bluesy. And maybe you want that kind of a sound, but just know that we're going to look at that as sort of a pattern that's there.
0: Yeah, that's great, man. Um, one thing i 'm thinking about with this for especially for simplification let 's talk about slash chords, okay because I think this can be a real point of like whether or
1: not to make them slash
0: or not right like my philosophy on it is i don 't put anything as a slash chord that I can have as a root chord right, right. so i 'm not going to put like um d flat major seven over b flat i 'm going to put b flat minor nine right right yep. i'm I usually don 't put like d flat major seven over e flat even though I see that i 'll put e flat Thirteen sus, sucks, yeah, right? You know, I'll get specific with that because I want to convey w- from the root up. Yeah, yeah. The only time this that I would use a slash chord like that are very specific times. There's probably two cases where I would use slash chords, and that's you know the bass note is not in the scale. Yeah, like if we're talking about E over. And uh, flat. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I I just want that clash. Yep. But I'm the always remember that the top. Uh, chord the top um yeah the top chord in a slash chord is the scale that the improviser is going to use right not having anything to do with the bass usually i mean it could be in there because it's in the bass so you can improviser could use it but in general if i say e over b i want them to play an e ionian scale a major scale right
1: yeah and i think some people make this i've even occasionally seen somebody write like e major seven over b flat seven And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, you you know, because really the bottom of the slash, my understanding or my usage of it normally, um, except for some very select, complex situations, is that below the slash or to the right of the slash is the root note, is the foundation, which is not necessarily the foundation of the harmonic center that you want, which is the whole reason that you're not making it one chord. As you said, D-flat major over B-flat, come on, that's a B-flat minor nine, unless you really want them to hear it, the voicing and and the tonal center is really D-flat. Like there would be occasionally a situation where it'd be like D-flat major over B-flat for the first two beats, and then maybe it moves up to D-flat major. And you're kind of telling basically the bass player or, or the, the root to to move down there, but the tonal center staying there. The reality of it is for most situations, it's going to sound, and 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 you want it like you know, back to our first point of it being simple and clear, B-flat minor is easier to read, and if it's going to sound the same, don't get so fussy. Don't get so
0: far—clear, being simple and clear again. And
1: readability. We want it to be—you want to get your sound. And if you have to make it complex to get—you know, just make sure that you make it as clear and as simple as possible to get that complex sound. It's fine to get—you know, I mean, I've done sharp 11, flat 9, flat 13 with a slash chord, and that's the sound that I want. And there's no other way to write it, then that's fine. But just make sure before you make somebody jump through those hoops that that's really what you want. Yeah, I mean, the other case for— what you
0: need. A slash chord would be like, say— Let's say it was like a a B-flat alt, altered, uh, B-flat 7 altered over A-flat, right? That, to me, is easiest translated as a flash chord. Yeah. Because to try to make it off of the A-flat would be more confusing, I think. And
1: then you're really saying you want, like, that's almost like a pedal. Is that a pedal point? Like that would normally sort of show up at a pedal point. And, right. Like you'd almost feel like it's gonna go there. Yeah. Where the bass is like super rooted because it's so far from like the tonal center of the actual chord that it's kind of doing its own thing. Yeah. You know. And and if it's moving around and stuff, it's just like boom. It's a stationary thing. Right. And um,
0: the other thing for slash chords would maybe be triads. Like wanting a specific. Like think about like E flat over A flat. Yeah. You could maybe notate that as a flat major nine no third but yeah. that is more confusing to me than yep. just e flat over a flat well
1: and it, it, i mean if you really follow the letter of the law with that that e flat over a flat when i see that i don't mind that i'm not i because I, I won't play that like an a flat major seven right i'll get mad if they that's what they actually wanted. they were just trying to be fancy but it's like the the melodically you're basing things off of that e flat triad right exactly. so this brings us to another good point as we free ball on all things how to write a chord here mm. um You know, when somebody puts E flat over A flat as opposed to or even just E flat as opposed to E flat major seven or E flat major six, like have some intentionality when you do that. It's fine to just put E flat, but that really implies that like triad. That's a triad to me. Yeah. Yeah. And and not to say that when you're improvising, you can only play an E flat G and a B flat. You can do other things, but it's like that's a certain sound. Yep. Um, if you put E-flat 2, I used to not like to do that, but it really is a different sound. It's like an E-flat 9 without a 7th, yep. you know. That's its own sound. And, and that's clear for people that play, especially in certain styles. Like The, the whole thing is like, I mean, you, we, we could put a, a, an infographic or a pictograph yeah. if that clearly made... We're just trying to represent what a sound is. So once you understand the sound and
0: what the connotation of that is, then these things start to make sense and you want to make them clear. That's right. E-flat 2... Like, I would use that, and I do use that all the time, but mostly when the third is in the bass. So, like, E flat two over G. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't want that G in the right hand on that voicing. Right. You know, I want it, I want only the, the third on the bottom of the chord.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a great thing, too, because when you put that, I mean, other slash chords, if you wanted to not have the third in it and you wrote a try it, I would say, like, you better write either a two, yeah. or you better write the actual notes out so they know that. But in that case, because it's so commonly used in certain situations, E-flat over G. Is that the one you said, E-flat y- over yeah, G? Yeah. Like, yeah, I'd, same thing. When I see that, I don't need to see E-flat two over G. Right. I mean, I mean, you could do that, but it's the same thing as E-flat over G. I know not to put, at least, let, let me listen,
0: and most likely don't put the third in the right hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else we can... I mean, I, f- I feel like we said si- simplify, and then we got really deep into <laughs> some know. complicated well, stuff. No, no,
1: but but we stuck to the theory of, I think it's just important to remember, you only get as complex as you need to to define the sound. I mean, the whole thing is about how it sounds and the possibilities, especially in a jazz situation where there's going to be some choice. You want to have choices. Yeah, that's right. I mean, so, you know, one thing maybe we could just touch on to, to wrap things up, too, would be where we started with, you know, F7 mm-hmm. versus F7 flat 9. There's an idea of like when you have a dominant chord, but you don't have any alterations, do you call it F9 if there's a ninth in the melody, or do you call it F13? And for me, I kind of default to more simpler, like F just seven. With an assumption that the pianist and the improvised, you know, pianist or guitarist in terms of comping, the bass player, it doesn't mean you can't play the ninth, but we're not specifying any alterations so that you know that anything within that 13 chord is fair game based upon listening. But it doesn't, like, sometimes people will put like F13 and then A flat nine. And then a D seven. So when I see that, I'm like, okay, let me be very careful. And once once I get
0: to that D seven, not play a ninth or that's 13. right. I think if there if you want to be that specific, be that specific. But if you are giving the player more freedoms, yeah, be as simple as possible. The seventh is always a go to. And for once that. you see a couple of those, yeah. and that's what we talked about too, pattern recognition. You're gonna know,
1: okay, there's a little more freedom, so I can do some susses, I can do a lot of different things, whatever's appropriate. Yeah. And that's generally what we want. We want things written out in a way the chords. So that the comping instruments and that the improvisers have enough freedom, just as much as they can have, to make it sound good. So that you're giving them the constriction that they need to be able to fit in with each other. So it's not just like slashes and no chords, but not so much specificity that they're locked in beyond where they need to be. Because
0: what you're really giving them is is the sort of voice leading. Like if I see so back to the alter, to the not alterations the extension. So if yeah. I see C7 C13, yep. right? And then the next chord is F9, I know that I have that A on top, G on top for the F, like yeah. the A on top the 13th for the C and the 9 on top as a nice little voice leading yep. thing. And the same thing if Patterns. I see if I if I want to if I want to make sure that the the compers do like a a, a a nine motion i would do c minor seven f7 seven flat nine yeah. b flat major seven because i know i can get that g g flat f motion right yeah
1: and it's not even like you're telling them the exact voicings because there's several versions that sure. you could make that happen but you're giving them again pattern recognition an experienced player is going to see that and be like okay i i see what right. the voice leading is here right right all right
0: Nailed another one. Done and done. Done, done and done. We left off about a hundred different ways to name <laughs> chords, but that's okay. Well, remember, for a limited time, you'll hear it. Listeners can subscribe to the Oxford American for only twenty-five bucks. That's an amazing quarterly Southern culture magazine. Has all to do with uh, art and music. And look, this is a physical product. Southern America.
1: I mean, these like things. Um, is there even a price on here? No. Yeah. No, there is $16.95 uh, per issue. And you know what? That's a good value. You know, I mean, I pick up very selected magazines when I'm traveling because I like to do that. when. And magazines are expensive nowadays. And most of them are not like with, I mean, the beautiful pictures. I mean, even the ads in here are amazing. There's some great ads for New Orleans and North Carolina. Even those are beautiful. Look at that. Discover authentic New Orleans. Um, but just to say that this is really a, a, a value—you spend twenty-five bucks and you get a year. You know what? I'm gonna put it out there. I'm, I'm, I'm calling it Audible. Look, you look nervous. here. I am nervous. I'm gonna say this: if anybody, any of our you'll hear at listeners subscribes to this for a year, Oxford American, and you really dive into this for a year, and you don't feel this is a great value, I will pick up the tab for your years. By I, I mean Ooh. Adam and I. Okay, <laughs> don't leave me out of it. <laughs> just this, write bro. to us at Andrew at OpenStudioNetwork.com, <laughs> and he'll take care of you. No, really. I mean, this
0: is a it's a beautiful thing. Uh so that's oxfordamerican.org slash y h i for that deal. Uh so and don't forget to send your uh, closing credit songs that you might want to hear on the You'll Hear It Podcast to Andrew at OpenStudio Network dot com. That's uh, Andrew at Open Studio Network. And some exciting
1: news that we forgot on hump day yesterday. Um that we talked about the day before is our brand new you'll hear it.com. We kind of teased it out there, but, um, this is very exciting. We have a new blog that accompanies the, this wonderful podcast. Yeah. We've always had the blog, but now it's,
0: as if we weren't giving up enough great free information them more, man, it's all good. You can, you can go there for so much, uh, jazz related stuff, uh, all about some, you know, technical stuff to like, you know our lists of favorite recordings, all that stuff is at you'llhearit.com.
1: Yeah, I mean we've got like basically guest writers and video um, content from you know scrubs like Jeff Keiser, Ulysses Owens Jr., uh-huh. um, and, and others. Some wonderful posts from you, Adam, on on some great things. So you can go check it out. It's totally redesigned, super fast, and you know you can access, the, of course, the podcast there. But the you'll hear It, the brand new you'll you'll hear it a jazz blog from Open Studio, and that's at you'llhearit.com. And don't be putting like an apostrophe you know we got some some fools out here some straight up fools man i'm sorry i'm gonna get dogmatic now you started out a little dogmatic i'm getting dogmatic do not go to your browser and be all look oxford american i know this is amazing literature and grammar so my apologies for saying this leave the apostrophes off when you when you type it in y-o-u-l-l-h-e-a-r-i-t dot com that's it all right this is a new day and age okay i'm sorry You'll hear off it. My soap soap You'll box.
0: hear it. You'll
1: hear it. You better hear it.